Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. For this week's episode, I talk to the designer, educator, and publisher, Sarah DeBont. Sarah runs her own design practice and is the co-founder of Occasional Papers, which is a small publishing company that focuses on affordable books on design and architecture history. My first introduction to Sarah's work, though, was the book Graphic Design, History and the Writing that she edited with Catherine DeSmit, and is sort of a meta look at graphic design history by collecting essays that challenge the dominant historical narrative in graphic design and raises questions about the role of gender, race, technology, and in how we talk about design history. In this episode, Sarah and I talk about her background and early career working alongside people like Stuart Bailey, James Goggin, and Daniel Etock, and how she kind of developed an expanded practice of her own. We talk about the importance of history in design practice and knowing and understanding design history. And we talk about what the design discourse can learn from bringing in texts from other disciplines outside of graphic design. I really enjoyed this conversation and love how Sarah thinks about these things. And it was so great to learn about her and her work. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Sarah DeBont. I've been a fan of your work for a long time, both uh, your work as a designer and, and occasional papers, but I don't actually know much about your background. I don't know kind of how you got into all of this, and so I kind of thought that'd be a good place to start. Uh, and I, I'm very interested in where your interest in design came from. Um, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a long story. I, <laughs> I have time. At the time, this was kind of late 90s, I guess. Graphic design in Belgium wasn't known at all. Mm. So I didn't even really know that it existed. And I was really struggling when I was in my last year of high school with what to do. <laughs> and my parents were putting a lot of pressure on me to get a university degree, like study law or right. you know, something serious where you could make a living. Right. I don't know. I, I was looking at that and maybe I was looking at art history or sociology, even acting. I didn't, I really couldn't, oh, wow. I was kind of interested in everything. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, but I, I remember always being into making things and looking at it from now that I'm a parent myself, I, I realized that my parents were really encouraging that maybe they didn't parents were not so aware of it, but they did drag us to museums and churches and, you know, they bought me stuff to make things with. We lived in the countryside, so in my holidays I'd be spending hours and hours making making things, painting or, yeah, and and it was always relational. It was always for other people. Hmm. So I'd make brooches for my auntie or cakes for my uncle or whatever. Yeah. And then, I, so that, that that kind of made me be interested in art because we did go to see a lot of contemporary art exhibitions. And what, so one of the things I went to see while I was looking for what to do was I went to an art school. And I uh, in my free time, I'd be studying acting. Not that I 
ever done anything with it, but it was kind of a, a teenager getting rid of your anxiety. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the in the art school, there was a graphic design department, and I bumped into a guy who was a parent of a friend of mine from acting class. So that was like a way to start to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I remember the things that were lying on the table were like menus for restaurants and things like that. And I thought that looked kind of fun and also like a good combination of getting an income. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so compromise. And I went to do the entrance exam and I got in and I was just so happy. Yeah. <laughs> that I just signed up. Oh, <laughs> wow. About it, I was almost kind of relieved. And then this this art school, I guess in, in high school, we also had quite a good art school teacher. It was also encouraging. But then when I enrolled, this uh, he's called Jeff, Jeff Winnepennings, the parent of a friend of mine. Hmm. He said, oh, Sarah, I don't think you're cut out for this. You're way too oh. shy. I don't oh, think wow. you can... And at the same time, my dad, even though they've been supportive, at the time at the, when I began, he said, "What if you're not good enough?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? You know you need to be really good at it to be able to make a living. Blah blah. So and those things kind of made me um, try wow. really hard, and to kind of prove myself, even whether I liked it or not. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> uh, I mean that. That's so interesting. I have two questions kind of a, a, about that. Uh, yeah. The first one is, did you, you know, when you talked to your friend's parents and kind of mm. saw the design program, were you aware, how aware of you or conscious were you that graphic design was a thing? Did you know that that was a, a even a career option or was that kind of your first introduction to the discipline at all? Um, I think it was my first introduction. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and and then what was it? You know, was it just that these things were interesting? That, that menus and things, you know, that someone was, made these. I think it was that it was making things for other people, not just for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it looked like you could make a living with it, yeah. you know, you, that there was a commercial aspect to it. That with fine art seemed much more daunting. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I was also interested in. Yeah, art history and sociology, and I guess those things were taught in that program. Right. Yeah. I, I, my other question, and, and this is a little bit off topic of the normal types of questions that I ask, but it's curious hearing you talk about your background and that you were taking these acting classes also. And yeah. I, I, I find it really interesting that it was graphic design that then people said, what if you're, you know, you're too shy for this or what if you're not good at this, but not acting, which feels like that's, those things would be much worse in acting than graphic design. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the, and, and acting was never really an option. I never was okay. any good at it. It was more like a hobby <laughs> okay, as a okay. way to express myself that I didn't enjoy being on stage and I, I wasn't much of an actor really. <laughs> Okay. With myself on stage, yeah, and never right. did the part or. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I thought yeah. that was interesting because I feel like like a shy person acting that's that would be much more of a problem than a shy person doing graphic design. Yeah, but I guess it it, it has been useful. There were some techniques that have been helpful when doing graphic design. You know, you do still have to talk to a client about your work. Right. Yeah, you there's have, a certain yeah. uh, you know 
uh, performance and, and even pitching work or something. Yeah, and teaching and talk, mm-hmm. giving lectures and yeah, maybe something we should teach in graphic design course a bit more. It's kind of presentation skills, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've thought a lot about uh, just ideas of performance and kind of the performative yeah. nature of graphic design. I definitely think there's yeah. something to it that we could we could learn from that we're not really talking about much. It's very true, yeah. It so, seems to be coming up also a bit more now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely feel like it is. So when you when you you feel you get this a little bit of resistance, kind of when you start doing graphic design or start studying graphic design, and and it encouraged you to kind of work harder, to push harder, kind of prove yourself, to prove to everyone else. Were you were you also thinking at this time that this was going to be a career, and were you thinking about kind of how you wanted to to work, or I I, I guess I'm kind of interested in when did it switch from you have to prove yourself to oh this is actually a thing I really like to do and I'm really good at. Uh, it was a gradual process. Okay. I think. In the first year, I was mostly really happy to be in an art school. I came from a really strict high school where I had to study Latin. And just being in an environment to be yourself and be a bit different was really exciting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, take drawing classes with other artists and things like that and getting history of art. But in the beginning... In that school, we were not really taught by graphic designers. Mm. Um, uh, the guy I mentioned, Jeff, he was an artist. And the other teachers there was an illustrator and uh, an advertising guy. But there was no typography or nothing. Okay. I think for the first two years. Um, wow. and then And then I, then I kind of started to wake up a little bit. I think in the third year, I don't know if it was the third year or the fourth year, but I started reading things and maybe maybe it was I magazine or it was a lot of influence also of Jan van Thorn who was teaching at the Jan van Eyck Academy in Holland at the time. Right. And um, then I had to write my... How did this happen? Yeah, I, I was invited to go abroad. In Europe, they encourage students to take a term abroad in another country. Okay. So I applied to go to Leeds in the UK, but they cancelled at the last minute. And they said, oh, do you want to go to Granada in Spain? And I was like, whatever. (laughs) So I went there and it was the first time I'd lived away from home. And I didn't speak the language for a few people in Spain at the time spoke English. So it was quite hard to communicate, but it was so like mind blowing to be in a different country and have to be independent. Right. I guess Spanish people are a lot more open socially than Belgians. <laughs> so I came home with a bit of a boost of energy. And then at the same time, we had to write our, um, like our thesis, like our final thesis. Yeah. And put it about the social relevance of graphic design. And that made me read a lot of books. Like, um, um What's that book, the Jan van Thorn um, book, Design uh, Design Beyond Design? Oh, oh, right, right, of course. Yeah. yeah. That one, and then this other one that came out, which was called The World Must Change, Graphic Design and Idealism. Mm, I don't of, know that. 
it's a really fantastic book um, about mostly Dutch design and yeah, the relevance of designing society. And that that just made me flip, because then I did my final degree uh, project, which was I think if I really awful design wise. <laughs> I, was trying, <laughs> I was trying to like question design. Yeah. And I questioned my tutors, and then I almost failed that year because I was right. kind of, you know, yeah, starting to ask all these questions: What's design for? Where does it come from? Why aren't we taught any history? Mm-hmm. You know, blah. And um, I remember at that time, this was the fourth year I applied to the Jan van Eyck Academy in Holland, okay. and got, got in. And my tutors just in Belgium just didn't get it, and. Your yeah. your tutors at Jan van Eyck didn't get it. No, in Belgium, okay. in my old school, yeah. So in my final degree jury, there was only one member of the jury who sort of understood where I was trying to go. Oh wow! So yeah. where did that? I, this is interesting to me because I feel like I went through a very similar kind of process, right? I was, I, I guess I was probably a little bit after you, but it was right after I graduated from college and I started working for the first time where I started questioning all of these things and kind yeah. of, you know, what is this for? Why, you know, what, what is my job supposed to be? What value am I adding? And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm always curious. This seems to be a, a theme that comes up with the people that I talk to. And I'm always curious where that kind of questioning came from. You know, what was it about your education that made you, ask these questions or how did you even start going about asking these questions i think it was just through stuff i was reading and finding out that there were yeah other ways of doing things and the the jan van Eyck academy was very influential at that time mm-hmm. and the stuff i was seeing like Job van Bennekom wrote like a really nice pamphlet about the role of the designer i found that somewhere i don't know I, I guess it was always when I was in my you know in my teens I was a bit of a kind of activist, <laughs> right? So it you know it was part of who I was I guess it didn't just come. Yeah, and did mm. that? Do Do you feel like that? I'm I'm trying to think exactly how to phrase this. Do you feel like that thesis project has kind of really set the trajectory of your career since? Because it sounds like a lot of the things. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was kind of where your interest in design history came from. And it sounds like it's kind of very rooted in there from the beginning that you were thinking about design in this way. Yeah, totally. It's really because and I was never taught it. So I've, I still feel like I need to catch up. <laughs> like I don't know as much as maybe other people who've studied it properly. Yeah. And, yeah. and where... I'm going to skip around a little bit because this was something I was kind of wanting to, to say for a little bit later, but it makes sense now is, is you know, what is that? Why why are you kind of so interested in design history or, or what is the, uh, this question sounds more argumentative than I mean it to be, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in in the value that kind of knowing design history actually plays in your practice. Um. I think uh, maybe it wasn't so much at the beginning. Uh, now, now I feel like you just need to know your field. Yeah. You need to know what you're talking about. There's a really lovely 
Richard Hollis quote that talks about it. Like, is I have to dig it out for you, but it's something like, he's like describing sitting next to a client behind a computer and the client saying, I want it bigger and him saying, oh, okay, let's try it here. And the client and printing it off and the client saying, oh, let's do it even bigger. And him saying, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, and, and, and then making the point that as long as you as a designer don't have the kind of baggage to know about your field, it's going to be much harder to be able to defend it. Right, right. You need to you need to know your stuff. Right. And I guess history is a big part of that. I, yeah. yeah, and something... It's explaining to someone why pink doesn't work because pink was used, you know, yes. for this product by these people at that time or, you know. Yeah, know. yeah. I mean, th this is... This is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately uh, and was something that I was really uh, wanting to talk to you especially about because something uh, I feel like kind of when I started asking these types of questions, I almost veered too far into the theoretical or the critical or the history part. And then and then, you know, almost so far where I was not even concerned with the aesthetics anymore or, or what design looked like. And then, yeah. you know, that's another problem where then if, you know, and this is kind of what you're saying where, you know, if you don't know the history, then the client can just, you know, make changes and you have no way to defend it. But then if you get so far into that side that you say the aesthetics don't matter, then the client can do the same thing again. And yeah, it's true. Yeah, and, I had that. Yeah. And, on, I mean, and that's what I that's I, all I was gonna say is that's what I love about your work is that I feel like you found that balance where the history, the ideas, the theories are actually completely embedded in the visuals also? Oh, that's kind of you. But it, um, I, maybe it was another teacher who told me that uh, then when I was at the Jan van Eyck, I got really, like you say, really into just ideas and yeah. thoughts. And I thought the way things look is not important. And then um, Arma Mavis, who was my mm. tutor at the time, who you should talk to. Yeah. He said to me, oh, Sarah, you're not a designer. You're an artist. You know, oh, wow. you don't, it doesn't matter the way it looks for you. And that that really made me thinking, started make me start thinking. Yeah. It's what so he meant. And then I think it was really important because then after I graduated, I went to the UK and met people like James Goggin, where we shared a studio, or Fraser right. Muggeridge. But the first week I moved there, Fraser oh, wow. was a friend of mine from uh, Amsterdam. Stuart Bailey uh, recommended me. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. A long story. <laughs> the reason I went to the UK is because I got a job working for Daniel Etok, who was oh, running yeah. Foundation 33. Right. And it was this design studio that he was running from his kind of, well, he was living in it together with his partner, Sam Solhog, who was an artist, okay. architect. And so. They had written something for the very early issues of Dot Dot Dot. Mm -hmm. And I, I graduated at the Jan van Eyck and was looking for a job. And Stuart said, oh, you should meet Daniel Etok. You have really similar work. And I emailed them. This was at the beginning of email. Saying, oh, <laughs> do, um, do you, are you looking for anybody? And Sam replied saying, no, we're not hiring any interns. And I said, oh, I'm looking for a job. And they said, oh. Maybe if you're in London one day, just let us know. So I just went. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. 
Yeah, made an appointment, knocked on their door, and we got on so well. And then I got a job, a job there, and moved there. Oh, that's Just one suitcase. Think you know? I thought, why not for one year rather than going back to Belgium? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I had no idea that you you were involved with Daniel Etock and Stuart Bale. I mean. You yeah, know, I feel like you know Stuart and Daniel and dot 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 and and all of those people have, you know, I kind of came to. I'm a little bit younger, so I kind of came to their work after dot 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 had already been going for a while. Yeah. But that was so influential to to changing how I thought about design. Were you aware at the time of kind of how they were kind of no, doing some things different? No, I was a bit. I was a bit annoyed at them. <laughs> Oh, why? Now I look back and I, I read those issues and I think, oh my God, they're so good. But I remember <laughs> when they loved Peter Billack and Stuart yeah. Bailey launched the first issue at the Yamanek when I was there. And we, me and a bunch of friends were just huffing in the back row saying, who are these arrogant guys with their magazine? And then, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. How? No, it was, it's a totally amazing team. Yeah. I mean, so... So then I moved to the UK and the, uh, fir the first week I was there, Fraser Margaret called me up because he had been to Reading with Stuart Bailey. They were in the same class. Okay. And he said, oh, I'm giving a party in my studio. Do you want to come? I, I had never met him. <laughs> he, he really taught me a lot about typography. You know, this is interesting. or, or, or I'm, it, It's interesting that, that these were the people that you kind of started your early career with. Yeah. Because I feel like something that's always interesting to me is are people who are designers, but then also kind of doing a bunch of other things. So, so you're a, you also do a lot of teaching and, and, and you yeah. co-founded a publishing venture. Do, do you think that that type of practice was really born out of those kind of working with those people right after you had graduated? Um... Probably, yeah. I think Daniel definitely was influential. Yeah. Um, because when I was working there, we were just the four of us. So there was also Hannah Werning. She was a Swedish designer. Okay. And we do things like big corporate jobs for television at the same time as doing... Like one day, um, they were doing roadworks in the street. And I, I remember Daniel printed off a piece of paper that said treasure and went to put it in the <laughs> in the hole in the street and things like you know he would constantly make his own work he's kind of become an artist now i guess yeah just the fact of taking that as seriously as you know tv jobs right gave you kind of opened my eyes i guess and um also the fact that they never they never really said no. So when when a client would ask, "Oh, have you done move motion graphics?" They'd just say, "Oh, yeah," <laughs> and then just call up some friends. There was this kind of openness. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And also, I remember one day we had to pitch for Piaggio the scooters, and oh. all these fancy executives came to our office, and we just had called all our friends to come on their on their laptop to sit in the studio to pretend we were like a big office. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I guess in London there was this kind of energy, because it's quite a tough city, mm -hmm. of people supporting each other also. There was a kind of community mm -hmm. around like Magma Bookstore and I don't know. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. wh- where I'm 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 kind of, I'm trying to just kind of piece together your career to kind of bring us to to the present day. Where yes. how did I, I'm going to ask kind of three questions. You can answer them however you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you decide to kind of go on your own and and open your own studio or work independently? And then when did teaching and occasional papers fit into that? Um. I, I only worked for Foundation 33 for a year and a half. Okay. And then I met James Goggin at an opening okay. of a design show one night. And we, st- we got talking. He had been to the Royal College together with Dan. Mm-hmm. I think it was a year below or above him. So they knew each other. And um, James and I had both designed a cloud for the weather. I had done it for TV and he had done it for himself. So we kind of <laughs> started talking about that okay and he um he said he had just moved back from new zealand mm. um and he said oh I, I really need to get a studio space but i've got too much work on why don't we share a space and i can pass you on some work because i can't afford to hire someone but and, and i can't afford to hire a studio by myself <laughs> right so that was like the perfect way i couldn't say no to that it, it allowed me to sort of start my studio with a little bit of knowledge that there might be work coming from him right she did that's when we started doing the file notes for camden art center okay we, we shared a studio with paul elliman actually as well oh oh okay i didn't realize that yeah he he was never around he was always traveling yeah, <laughs> yeah. he was a tutor of mine at the Yanvanek. so i mean it, it's interesting then that you really have i i guess i did not realize how you know these designers you know, Paul Elliman, uh, Daniel Lee Talk, James Goggin, you know, Stuart Bailey, all had these kind of expanded practices. And you were just kind of right in the middle of that the whole time, kind of, you know, working in that same same mode right from the beginning. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you don't really think about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I started teaching quite soon after. Okay. So I think... Yeah, at St. Martin's first and then the RCA a bit later. Okay. And the occasional papers only came in 2008. Okay. Yeah. And and why, what was the goal for occasional papers or, or what were, what were you kind of interested in that led to that, that starting? Um, I started it together with my partner, uh, Anthony Hudek, who is now my husband. Okay. Um, we fell in love. Well, we met actually. It's a funny story. I was I went back to Jan van Eyck in 2007 to give a talk, and he was in the audience. Oh wow! So he asked me a question, and that's how we met. Oh, that is that is yeah. the best story. Yeah, and then uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was about Marcel Brother, the Belgian artist. <laughs> anyway, we we got together, and Anthony always had dreamed of doing publishing. He's an art historian. He was in the theory department. And it seemed like the perfect thing for a graphic designer and an art historian to do together. Mm -hmm. If you want to spend time with someone (laughs) like. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, And we both felt like there were not enough books about history, histories that are forgotten. Right. Especially in art history and design history. It's always the same five famous people who get rehashed. Right. 
and so many people who are too shy or bad at promoting themselves or, you know, have a, not the right color or gender get forgotten. Right. And that coupled with the fact that a lot of design books are just too expensive. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the drive. I, I mean, and so like how many... I'm, 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 uh, I have another kind of series of questions around this, but I'm, you know, how much of your time is spent kind of working on the publishing venture versus client work? And then how many books are you publishing a year? Um, um, I'd say it's about half a day or a day a week. We have a really great, um, what do we call her? Distribution manager called mm. Piper, who still who works in london and we have a desk in london still because we now i mean we now live in antwerp right and she so she does all the when someone orders a book online she'll do it um, you know deal at the moment we are working on the reprint of richard hollis's about graphic design and so she's gone to his studio yesterday to do some more corrections because we're adding a text and doing some text corrections Oh, that's great. She'll do things like that. And yeah, we're trying to, we're designing a new website at the moment with Piper and her, her partner, Sam, who's a designer. Okay. And the books, um, we pu- publish about four or five a year, I would say. Okay. Uh, it's quite flexible and we don't yeah. really have a plan. They just sort of happen. Okay. Um, that's what I was going to ask is how you kind of pick. No. Okay. We did we did have a moment, maybe two or three years ago, where where we did a bit more, and we did, but we accepted also submissions, mm. but they become tricky because usually people come with an idea and with a budget, and then you start to feel like you're they're they're your client. Or, <laughs> right. You know, that's why we started doing occasional papers. It's also called occasional for a reason because they're. <laughs> books that we really want to do and right yeah i want to talk a little bit about your book uh graphic design history and the writing because i think i don't know for sure but that book might be when i first kind of became aware of you and, and your work uh and that's a book that i always have out i feel like that's always out on my desk or off the shelf because i'm kind of referring back to it what uh where, where did the idea for that come from and how did you kind of start thinking about how you're going to select the text that you included in there? Um, I guess Anthony is a big reader, reader, like in art history, that's a very common thing to do. Right. So, and uh, I, in 2008, I organized a conference together with Fraser about book design. At Saint, for St. Bride Library, which is an amazing typography library in London. And they asked, well, maybe they didn't. I thought it'd be a nice thing to do it again, but about history. Because mm-hmm. at the time, there was really nothing um, being, it was not a subject whatsoever. Uh, right. And I invited Catherine de Smet, who's a really amazing French design historian, to organize it with me. So I guess that was 2011 or 2010, maybe. Okay. And while we were preparing the conference, Catherine was kind of feeding me stuff to read. And we realized that there wasn't a 
book that was collecting all this stuff. Right. And that it would maybe be nice to try and bring it out in time of, for the conference as a kind of um, thing to educate people coming to the conference so that we could, we could refer to it or we'd have a kind of common right. uh, source book or something. We didn't manage to do that, but we did it. We made it anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of all all of the articles we could find in the English language. There, there were some in French too that um, we found, but we didn't have the budget to translate it. And then, you know, we don't speak that right. many other languages. So that, that was kind of the limit. And we also uh, did a workshop with students from ECAL and from the RCA critical writing course, asking oh, them yeah. to submit articles just to try and broaden the horizon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what I, what I love about it is that it's not a book. It's not a history book. It's actually a book about design history. And it kind of asks all these questions because I, in my own education, I was kind of learned a very, uh, single linear design history that it was like this thing happened then there were these designers and then this thing happened and I think reading through the essays in history and the writing is you realize that that history there's actually kind of multiple design histories and there's even questions about what should be included in design history and so it's almost this kind of meta book about how you even think about design history yes that's what we wanted to do it's a historiography yeah make history yeah and and I'm I'm curious, you know, how do you this is gonna be a kind of weird question perhaps, but how do you I'm I'm I always wonder how you kind of select a group of writings and kind of you know, say that these are important without saying that these are the only ones that are important. Do you know what I you know what I mean? Like how did you make that selection and not say this is the design history, but this is kind of one way to look at history. Um, there isn't that much else out there. Okay. It didn't leave out that much. Um, because it's writing about how how to write. Right, right. And it's published, so that, I guess that's a filter. We didn't just do an open call for everybody to submit whatever. It's all been published, so it's been edited and you know, gone through a kind of value yeah. evaluating system, I guess. I think maybe we left out five articles or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. When, it, when I showed it, I recently started doing a PhD and I showed this oh, wow. book to my mentor, who's an art historian, and yeah. she's like, are you joking that it all fits into one book? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what are you... <laughs> What are you doing a PhD? Or what, uh, what are you studying in your PhD program? Um, it's a practice-based PhD, so okay. making my work as part of it. Okay. But the other part is um, the beginnings of graphic design in Belgium in the 60s and 70s. And I'm trying to research um, designers who cross disciplines. Oh, interesting. I'm spending a lot of time with this one guy called Paul Ibu, who sees himself as an artist, a designer, uh, he has like 20 names. He called a multi-artist. Okay. There are some other people like that. Uh, yeah, I'm just interviewing people and trying to hopefully make an exhibition or something about their work. Yeah. 
I mean, that, this, is, this is actually so interesting because the next question that I wanted to ask you, I, I love that your this program is a practice-based program because I'm, I'm kind of curious, and this is a question I ask a lot of people, is how does, you know, specifically how did collecting and editing graphic design history and the writing, but then also just your work as a publisher and a teacher, how has that changed how you thought about your actual design work, your work for clients? Oh. <laughs> if at all um, mm. it's hard to, to say I think um, the easy thing to pinpoint would be that maybe I feel more confident in giving in talking about content mm. interesting um, or even editing yeah. And um, on the one side and on the other, I do have experience in distribution. Right. So now clients often ask me, I had a, a discussion earlier today with the Liverpool Biennial, who we designed for, for a long time. They are asking me about, you know, who, how to distribute the book or... Right. Do you think, yeah. it, do you think it changes the types of clients that you get? Because clients know that you do the all of these other things. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah, I think you get yeah you get you get what you make. Right. I, I was I've been offered to do this um, kind of uh, branding job recently, and I've been really wondering if I should do it or not, and talking about it for hours with my partner, and he's like, "Well, once you start doing those jobs, those are the jobs you're gonna get." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. I have just a couple questions to kind of kind of wrap up a little bit, and these are kind of questions that I that I ask everybody. But I'm I'm really curious how how you talk about kind of design theory and history and these other interests you have when you are working with clients. Um, you know, do you talk about these things when you're pitching work or when you're presenting work or, or does it just kind of happen in the making part? And then, no, you know, I when talk you talk about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. For, um, I'll, uh, for, it's mostly at initial stages when you're making something, you might show what other people have made before. Or when we, when um, we started doing wheels, the identity mm, for the mm -hmm. in Brussels. Before even designing anything, I gave. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, but I gave uh, Dirk Snower, the director, director at the time, an article by Nick Bell for I on branding uh, oh, wow. institutions, and he took it. But he, and then I gave like a little talk about branding of art centers like MoMA and Santo Pozzo, and then as a way to start talking about what we were going to do and, you know, sort of what it, do what it does or what it means or where they want to put themselves or, yeah. Oh, that's the amazing. Same. Or the same like today we were talking to Liverpool Biennial about biennial catalogues and what was re referring to, uh, you know, that Documenta catalog by that Ed Richet designed the cover for? Yeah. It's like a, orange ring bound one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you look it up don't you know and they didn't know it this yeah. young curator never heard of it and oh, like, wow. ah, yeah it's so cool blah blah and then you know <laughs> so yeah 
I guess, or or the other day we were um, we we're doing some ex- exhibition graphics for the Welcome in London. Mm. It's like a medical um, center, mm-hmm. an exhibition space. They're like, oh, I really want to make a mobile, and like then they show them some Minari examples. Right. You know, right. Bruno Minari mobiles. Yeah. And I yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. It's inspiring. That's all. And, yeah. And you don't want to be ripping them off. So you want to, you know, need right. to know what's come before you. I'm curious what are, this is a question that I ask everybody, uh, but I'm curious for you, what do you think are the issues or the topics that designers should be talking about, writing about right now? What, you know, what's kind of missing in the, the design discourse that you think we should be talking about more? I don't know. <laughs> uh, where is the design discourse? I mean, I guess that's a great question too. I mean, do you think, you know, are there... I guess, yeah, sorry. I mean, no, I'm. that's a, that's a, I think actually like a really interesting question, you know, especially um, kind of hearing about your, your time in London and how there was this kind of community and everyone was supporting each other. One thing that I found as I've talked to more and more people is that while there's a lot of people talking about design and writing about design right now, it's also scattered and diverse yeah. Uh, yeah. that there almost isn't kind of a central discourse anymore. No, maybe that's a good thing, no? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely don't think it's it's bad, but it does make it hard to kind of find, uh, you know, different topics or different subjects because there isn't kind of, you know, central, there isn't a dot, dot, dot that's kind of collecting something interesting or something like that. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm glad that there are ma- many of them now. Yeah. What are the... I guess maybe that some of the things, yeah, uh, design from design from outside our western field yeah. would be a really big one my last i think that's a great that's something i've been thinking about a lot and kind of want to for me now you know i've done almost 60 of these interviews and and while i've gotten a pretty good range of people uh from around the world at different points in their career uh who are kind of doing different things it's still very uh european and american and i i'm i'm trying to kind of expand that more because it does feel like you know all of the design discourse is european and american right now yeah yeah i don't know how you do that yeah Yeah. i don't either that's that's what i'm trying to (laughs) that's something i've been thinking about a lot we're working on a book with occasional papers on graphic design education oh interesting and they include some uh, articles about there's a design school in India and I forget the name that the Eames is taught at. Oh. We're asking a designer from there to write about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's great. My last question is, and we uh, this is something you've kind of been answering throughout. Uh, so there might not be more to add, but I'm very curious kind of who are the writers, the critics, the historians, the designers who have really influenced you or the ones that you kind of are required reading for your students or for people listening to this who are interested in the the type of work that you do and the types of things we've been talking about. Who are those people that we should be reading or looking at? 
oh dear, I'm gonna say five people and then regret it afterwards. I, once someone did this once to me, <clears throat> and then I, it was actually, um, I don't know if this is if this is interesting, but uh, uh, there was once a TV program in Belgium, a series about designers, and they were. Oh, wow. And designers, and one of them was me, and I was the only woman in the series. And oh, they wow. asked me the same question on the spot. It was like a one-hour documentary about my work. And then they asked me, who are your heroes? And I just blurted out, ten guys. And then they <laughs> half of the program with pictures of those guys. <laughs> so now, now I feel like I should, oh, I should take my list carefully and tell you, because I feel like just seeing people that you would know. Right. Like Richard Hollis is yeah. like a total hero, but I also, maybe I should think about it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know that is, I, I, I know I always save this question for last and it always ends up being the hardest question and everybody <laughs> basically says the same thing where they, they say a bunch of people and then we're done talking and they think of, you know, 10 other people. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, I, um, yeah, we can just list the people in the reader, but that's maybe a bit boring. I don't know. I guess listen to you. That's what I get my students to do. I don't know. Who is who is it today that you need to... Who would you listen to? Uh, I mean, the Please. people the people that I'm really interested in are, are twofold. I'm interested in a lot of the kind of newer, younger designers who, uh, and design writers, and, and they're people I've talked to, like Hannah Ellis, uh, is someone who's writing I like a lot, and Theo Inglis is someone who's writing I, I like a lot. But right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm finding more and more that the the kind of critical writing or the the discourses that I'm drawn to are kind of outside of design. It is the writing about art or writing about movies or writing about technology, and it has there's so much relationship to to design that I'm getting just as much from those kind of adjacent fields as I am from you know, kind of quote-unquote traditional design writers. What do you mean by getting as much? What do you get? Uh, like, like uh, kind of thinking about ways of, of practice or ways of thinking about process, especially. So, you know, yeah. reading about film or, um, or media, there's a lot about kind of working and voice and process. But then I've been reading a lot of technology writing and find that a lot of the implications of technology and how technology is kind of influencing the world and the way we communicate with each other are also design problems in a lot of ways. Uh, mm. And so I'm finding that a lot of the discussion that's happening in the technology world could actually be applied to, to the design world, I think. Not all of so, it, but I think a lot where, of it. Where would you read that technology stuff? Uh, that, I mean, that's also the same problem that design's having where there isn't a centralized place. Um, I think, uh, uh, Vice has a really good technology vertical called Motherboard, okay. um, which has some good technology writing. There's somebody that I interviewed back a long time ago. She's the fourth or fifth interview, Sarah Watson, mm -hmm. um, is a technology critic and I can send this, t I can send you this too. Uh, wrote this big piece on kind of how we should be, how technology writers should be writing about technology today. And there's all kinds of links in there of specific people who are kind of doing very interesting, deep, critical technology writing that, oh, yeah. that has really affected the way I think about 
design writing and what design writing should do and how it should relate to the field. Nice. Um, thank you so much for this. I've been wanting to talk to you uh, for a while, and I thought this was so interesting to hear your background and, and, and hear your work now. So thank you, uh, thank you for talking. Thank you. This episode was recorded on October 23rd, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.